VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Stay connected and never miss a beat with AT&T. Our reliable network covers more roads than any other carrier, ensuring you're always in the loop. Whether it's tournament upsets, buzzer beaters, or social media buzz, stay up to date. Don't let the action pass you by. Check if you're eligible for a free trial of in-car Wi-Fi at att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi. And keep the madness going. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. It's never been more important to diversify your financial portfolio. Well, that's right. The S&P is down 20% from the last year, and this year looks even worse. Gold and precious metals offer a hedge against inflation and stock market volatility. And Legacy Precious Metals is the company Ken and I trust. Protect your retirement account by rolling it into a gold-backed IRA or have metals shipped directly to your door. Call our friends at Legacy Precious Metals today at 866-691-2173. Or visit buylegacygold.com. If you've been listening to KFI, you know about the LAUSD uh, attempted hacking. Uh, Classes resumed today. Um, LAUSD made it clear that they were the target of a ransomware attack. And they had to organize the, the resetting of all staff and student passwords. Joining us right now is KFI's own Steve Gregory, who has more on this. Steve, do we know how LAUSD found out about it? Yeah, you know, on Saturday night, uh, the superintendent, Alberto Carvalho, said that uh, he got alerted around 10.30 Saturday evening that there were irregularities in the infrastructure of their system. And he would not specify what those irregularities were. So when I was talking to the FBI off to the side after this press conference this morning, they indicated that you know, because everyone, even our own network here at iHeart, you know, everyone has their own system in place. And when you're an IT administrator or you're a tech, you know when something isn't right. And because when I asked specifically the FBI, I said, well, you know, how's LAUSD's infrastructure and what were those irregularities? And they're like, we don't know because we don't know their system. Only the IT people know when there's an irregularity. So something happened to where it triggered them and they said, this isn't right. And they went through some protocols, some security protocols, and they realized they were in the process of being hacked. And at the time, they didn't realize it was a ransomware attack until later on. Uh, They notified the superintendent. The superintendent did something he said was very unprecedented, and he ordered a complete shutdown of the entire district's network. For those who don't know, a ransomware attack is where they would take hostage of LAUSD, in this case, LAUSD, um, any type of intellectual property, passwords, sensitive information, and lock out students, staff, teachers, what have you, unless that ransom was paid. And we don't even know then if it would have been given back. But go ahead. Yeah, so um, they were able to, by shutting down the entire system and putting some other protocols in place, they were able to to basically keep that attack at bay. 
There was some evidence, according to the superintendent, that they were trying to access personnel files and student files. They did not make it. Uh, but there was evidence that they were going that direction. When they started to trace back to the impact that this had, um, they said everything that was in place, all the uh, all of the uh, planning and all of the prep that they've done over the last few years for these kinds of attacks all worked. And it, it, basically this press conference that happened this morning it was 45 minutes of them thanking each other for doing their job. Uh, what was funny about that to me was that, that I think they were more excited at the fact that it all worked. So we had to sit there and listen to them all for 45 minutes, thank each other for all their great work, the FBI, LAPD, LAUSD, um, the IT guys in there. And, and I get it. It's pretty it – was, it, but it was just after a while it started getting a little comical. And, uh, you know, they wouldn't tell us a lot of detail, but they would certainly tell us how great the system is. When you say it worked – I read that as they stopped the frontal brute force attack, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they can backtrace to this origination point, or is that just still under investigation and they have not divulged that to us yet? Well, and we had to push them because, you know, and you can understand, and especially when you're dealing with a school district, you know, they're not, they're not as transparent as they typically should be or would be because they're dealing with students. And I get that. I understand all that. But I think for, for context, and that's what I was trying to pose my questions today, I said, well, you need to give us context. Is this something that we should all be worried about? Because I don't know if you remember or if others remember that there's been a series of attacks against municipalities in Southern California over the last, what, four years? And they've been ransomware attacks. Um, the sheriff's department out in Walnut, their substation out there was attacked one night. Their 911 system was completely taken offline through a ransomware attack. Uh, there were 12 cities in Southern California uh, in the L.A. County area that had been hit by ransomware. Now, not everyone knew about them because they didn't want to cause panic. But there were there was some serious stuff going on here. So I asked the question. I said, well, if you're not going to tell us who did it, can you tell us if it's similar to the other attacks that have been happening with government agencies and municipalities? And they said there are similarities. And they finally admitted that they had narrowed down contact to three different countries that are involved. Now they don't know whether that's where the ransomware attackers originate or whether that was a pass through the three countries. Did federal authorities give any indication whether this was the only school district targeted specifically because I'm thinking like if you target LAUSD, it probably isn't the only, in other words, if you're going to rob a bank, you're not going to rob just one bank. You may try to rob multiple sure. banks. Uh, so I'll answer it this way. Um, the, the way you ask that, because it leads me to another part of the story that I wanted to tell you, is that um, as soon as I got out of this press conference today, I, you know, we got some information, but we didn't get a lot of detail. So I reached out to some sources of mine in the cyber attack community in law enforcement, and I was forwarded an internal memo that went out through the cybersecurity advisory, or it's a cybersecurity advisory uh, through the FBI and the national, um, um, uh, what is it here, the... Uh, Homeland Security and the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Agency. Um, this came out today, <laughs> but they said, please be on the lookout for attacks against school districts. Here we go. <laughs> and so they knew what was going on. The FBI um, anticipated attacks may increase in the 2022-2023 school year. Uh, criminal ransomware groups perceive opportunities for successful attacks. School districts with limited cybersecurity capabilities and constrained resources are often the most vulnerable. However, 
The opportunistic targeting often seen with cyber criminals can still put school districts with robust cybersecurity programs at risk. K-12 institutions may be seen as particularly lucrative targets due to the amount of sensitive student data accessible through school systems or their managed service providers. So going on to that, they identified the name of the group in this alert, internal alert. They wouldn't tell us who was at the press or they didn't want it public. But I have the name of the group right here they're worried about. But they knew that the press, which includes you, had that information then. No, they don't know I have this. I'm about to tell you. Oh, oh. KFI exclusive. As I start getting the calls now from my sources. <laughs> As we speak. No, they literally, it, it, your phone uh, is ringing right why now. We, why don't we take a break or you want to? Yeah, let's go, let's go to a break now, allow you to get that, and then we'll come back and do more. This is the John and Ken Show. I'm speaking with Steve Gregors. We talk about the LAUSD ransomware attack with breaking news. KFI AM640. I'm speaking with KFI's own Steve Gregory in regard to the LAUSD targeted ransomware attack and before the break steve was getting a call live on air with more information as to possibly would be bad actors steve take it away yeah so before the break we were talking about um an advisory that i received from a law enforcement agency here in the la county area um and in this it's a joint cybersecurity advisory co-authored by the fbi and the cybersecurity and uh, infrastructure agency um, Homeland Security, whatnot. And I read some portions of that talking about the fact that uh, everyone needs to be on the lookout for these attacks against school districts and happens to come on the day that uh, the school district, <laughs> the school superintendent for LAUSD had his press conference this morning. The attack happened on Saturday night around 10.30 p.m. is when they first started noticing what district officials described as irregularities. So as we started to press them for more information at the press conference, they were they were pretty hesitant to give us information until I got back here to the station and then I was given this document that shows the internal uh, the internal warnings uh, and they identify the group that they say is most likely behind all of these ransomware attacks against school districts and the the, the group is called Vice Society. And they identify here, Vice Society is an intrusion, exfiltration, and extortion hacking group that first appeared in summer of 2021. Vice Society actors do not use a ransomware variant of unique origin. Instead, the actors have deployed versions of Hello Kitty, Five Hands, and Zeppelin ransomware. Um, and then as Mo described earlier, what ransomware actually does, uh, they basically exploit internet-facing applications, which could be anything and they'd spend time exploring the network, identifying opportunities to increase accesses and exfiltrating data for double extortion. That's a tactic where they say they threaten to publicly release sensitive data unless a victim pays a ransom. So that's going on. And when I found out, you know, when this when Alberto Carvalho, Carvalho, the superintendent of the district, said they identified three countries that um, have ties to this attack, he wouldn't say who they were. But um, my sources are telling me that the three top countries that these attacks actually come from in this order, Russia, number one, China, number two, North Korea, number three, and Russia, that includes Russian-influenced countries like Belarus and other Eastern Bloc countries. So that's where all this stuff is coming from. What does a layperson like you and me in the sense of just a random user we may be a parent and sending our kids to school who may be doing some online learning other than changing our passwords has there been 
any specific directive given to parents or people to better protect themselves given this? The really, the only thing is I'm told often by cyber, uh, cyberware and cyber attack specialists and uh, these, you know, people with cyber crimes units, you know, two-factor authentication is a big deal. Um, you know, and speaking of passwords, that was that's remains the biggest challenge. In fact, here is the superintendent talking about that challenge. This entity succeeded in altering some systemic elements that put us in a position of requiring every single student and every single employee to reset their own passwords. That's a massive undertaking, considering that we have an excess of 540,000 students and over 70,000 employees. That has been the biggest challenge. That concerns me, and I, I'm someone who has a moderate amount of knowledge. They're saying on one hand, if I have this correct, that they did not get past the security measures. Right. But they're also saying, change your passwords, even though they didn't get past the security measures. Well, that's because two things. One, because they shut the network down, which reset everything. So in doing that, they basically did. Oh, it they, oh, they, they, did they, it to, they, they just wiped the system. Yeah, basically, they did it for the for the purpose and security of protecting valuable data. And um, and that's why the, the superintendent said this was unprecedented, because they knew doing so was going to cripple the district temporarily. There was right up till the 11th hour this morning, there was talk about not having classes. And the superintendent was faced with an immense amount of pressure and whether or not to go ahead and do this. He says no one's been in class for two years. So he said, I was faced with the decision. And he says, little by little, over the last 48 hours, we've been seeing incremental improvements. We know that things are back coming back online, but he, they also have very limited servers. So they had to prioritize which passwords were going to be resettable first. And it started with teachers or admin first, teachers, and then down the line. Um, and they anticipate everything should I think all but one division of the district is up and running now. And I think he said it was the... Uh, like um, the facilities, the facilities division of the district is still a little offline, but everybody else, everybody else is pretty much back up and running. I know they didn't give you too much information because they don't want to give you too much information. But the question I would have, and I don't know if anyone has asked this, are they sure that it was a full frontal attack with the with the goal of actually succeeding or maybe just testing the limits no. of the security? No, they said uh, the question had been asked. Did you, you know, basically, did you stave off uh, a really severe attack? And they said, yes. Based on what they could see and based on information they're not telling us, i.e. The, the countries that these are coming from, and they already, I think they know because of the footprint and the blueprint of this attack, based on that, they knew this was going to be a pretty severe attack. And you remember, remember, was it Cedar sinai that got hit? Yes, it was cedar sinai so Hospitals, this is all the same kind of stuff. This is warfare on another level. And Absolutely. I, and I wonder why well, I don't wonder. I know the FBI is monitoring this and they're aware of some of the prominent actors. I, I, I wonder out loud whether we've just been lucky or good in the sense of not having a major infrastructure infiltration disruption on a much larger scale. You know, it's funny. We were talking about this the other day. You know, one of the biggest concerns, one of the hugest concerns about a hack is our energy infrastructure and being able to shut down transformers and shut down power and shut down transmission, water treatment facilities, all this stuff. And 
you know, and I don't think a lot of people realize this. And here's a here's a piece of trivia for you. Um, you know the towers that are up by the Hollywood sign? Yes. Do you know what those towers are? You told me, but I don't remember. I remember we had this conversation. I honestly okay. don't remember. So it's Mount Lee. That's the that's the name of the area up there. It's Mount Lee. Those towers are not for radio and television because our stuff's on Mount Wilson. That is the city of Los Angeles's emergency infrastructure communications up there. And it is it has been identified as a protected target, as a terrorist target. Um, and the reason I'm telling you is it's not this is not like super super secret. People know this stuff. It's so I'm not telling something that it isn't out there. But um, that is, I mean, they they have billions of contacts in the city infrastructure on a daily basis that they have to monitor. Billions of contacts, and that system up there, those people that are up there 24 seven doing nothing but monitoring all this going on but that's also where the emergency communications system is up there and they're actually in a bunker underground it's pretty interesting but um uh they're keenly aware of the power grid the water treatment um you know military and think about you know you what was it war games would you like to play a game <laughs> yeah Happened right near my hometown. Well, I Norad. think of Die Hard, Live Free, Die Hard, which had this specific idea of a cyber terrorist mm-hmm. attack. That's they've always said that's going to be our next big thing. It's going to be the cyber attack. And 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 knowing what I know about the, from the cyber uh, crime units here in the L.A. area, uh, people should be scared. They should be really scared. This is the John and Ken show. Steve Gregory, um, you scared the shit out of me. <laughs> Just be cautious, people, and don't use your same password for everything. Not everything. No. How about most things? Two two step uh, two factor authentication, two step factor authentication, whatever they call it. Well, I do that. Do that. Me too. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. No. Uh, you gave us a lot to think about. You got to be lot. I would be scared if I were you, including your smart TV, your smartphone, your razor, the medical equipment that counts on Bluetooth, door trust, security of your home, everything. Be scared. The IOT. That's why I have a rotary dial at home? Somehow I don't think you're kidding. <laughs> well, you, know, you have to understand, most people don't even know, depending on your age, you don't even remember, they don't have firsthand memory of a rotary phone or how to use one. <laughs> yeah, I remember the rotary dials. The analog version of phones. Yep. Well, yep. I, I appreciate you, Steve. See, this is why KFI is the number one news talk station in America. That right there, breaking news. Oh, well, thank you. This is the John and Ken Show, KFI AM640. I'm Mo Kelly in for John and Ken, so keep it right here. We're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. If I learned anything going through and coming out of the pandemic, it was getting in touch with myself, my own feelings, getting in your own head, thinking about life, just having a more clear understanding of what, of what is more important to me as a person, take stock of one's life. And also I noticed that people around the country and around the world for that matter, but specifically around the country struggled with the pandemic, struggled with how life changed for them in that moment. Maybe they lost a loved one. Maybe they lost a job, but their life changed fundamentally. And if anything, if, if, if you were only just locked down and maybe you weren't going to your job, if you still had your job, it made you really reconsider the important things in life. And there are a lot of people who came out of that or didn't come out of it at all and suffered with deep depression. And it showed me 
that we don't necessarily always know what depression looks like. From the outside looking in, we may think that a person's life may be just wonderful, that they got it going on, they have nothing that they need to worry about, and under closer inspection, he or she, they may have been dealing with depression for quite a long time. And, and the reason I'm talking about this, because I came across a story which listed America's most depressed cities, according to the CDC. And I was talking about this story with producer Dana, who was helping me put the show together with producer Ray. And she and I were kind of comparing how wrong we got this list. If we were to think about the most depressed cities in America, I think most people would wrongly assume that it would be closer to uh, major cities, um, more populated cities. And it seems like, at least according to this list, it's not the case. And I'm not trying to highlight anything political or anything like that. I'm just trying to make the distinction that depression doesn't necessarily seem like or is not like what many of us expect it to be. About 40 million adults, 18 or older, are, are believed to be affected by anxiety and depression each year. And this is according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America. And in regard to that, researchers at Nursing Information and Education Outlet, CEU Fast, reviewed data from the CDC to find the cities with the highest numbers of residents who have been told they have any form of depression, regardless of reason or cause. And according to this list, the top 15 most depressed cities slash metros in the U.S. are the following. And I'll go um, from the bottom up. Number 15, Springfield, Massachusetts. But get this, 24.7 percentage of all um, depressed residents, 24.7% of the population. Fayetteville, Arkansas, number 14, 24.8%. Number 13, Boise City, Idaho. Number 12, Little Rock, Arkansas, 25%. Number 11, Ogden, Utah, 25.4%. Number 10, Lafayette, Louisiana, 25.8%. Number 9, Chattanooga, Tennessee, and Duluth, Minnesota, tie, 25.8%. Number 8, Salem, Oregon. And of the, of the cities that we've listed so far, I think I've only visited Little Rock and Lafayette, Louisiana. Number eight, Salem, Oregon, 25.9%. Number seven, Madison, Wisconsin. I've been there, 26.9% percentage of depressed residents. Number six, Mark Rahner, Spokane, Spokane Valley, Washington. Yeah, I'm representing right here. I've got a Pez dispenser that has Xanax in it. <laughs> so uh, at least from your standpoint, <laughs> is there any tr truth to that? Yeah, sure. Yeah. How do you think that plays out, or you think why does the why does that play out? You think, um, you know, it's hard to quantify. Uh, I, I don't Anecdotally, know. how about uh, that? Yeah, I mean, it's just an angry, really white, sort of grimy town without a lot going on, and it's right next to the Idaho Nazis and white supremacists. I couldn't wait to get out of there the instant I turned eighteen years old. Well, Boise City is on the list, as I said, at number thirteen. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Number five, Huntington, West Virginia. 
and also Ashland, uh, Kentucky, that area, 27.3%. Number four, Charleston, West Virginia. Number three, Knoxville, Tennessee. And if there's only um, any thread that I can weave through here, I would say that there are more economically depressed rural communities, generally, if I were to just generalize more than anything. Number two, Bristol, Tennessee. And number one, does anyone does anyone want to take a guess as far as the number one? For, for most depressed? Yes. Seattle. Eric, any guess? Albuquerque, New Mexico. That's a good guess. Both of you are wrong, though. Very wrong. Billings, Montana. Okay, I'll buy that. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> and it, is it because they're more remote in nature? They got nothing going on there. But but I'm saying, I I always hear those are the best towns in which to live. But this flies in the face of that. I know people who live there, and if your sole concern is just to have a family in an isolated area where you don't have to worry about the urban stuff that we talk about every day here, sure, no problem. But if you like to do things and go places, no. I want to go back to Springfield, Massachusetts. How can you be depressed when the Basketball Hall of Fame is there? I don't. Thank you. I don't know. You know, and it's not like you're divorced from you know civilization in Springfield, Massachusetts. Yeah, what what is it? Maybe 40, 40 minutes outside of Boston? Boston, right. I don't I don't know. I don't Look, I'm just reading the list, but still, you know, I've never been to Massachusetts. It's one of the few states that I've not visited. So I can't even hazard a guess. But the East Coast in general other than really harsh winters, that might be part of it. I don't well, know. Well, it seemed like 2 through 7 was coal mining country. Yes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I thought for sure that you would be focusing on the Pacific Northwest because of the weather there. And, right. And they've got their fair share, more than their fair share of serial killers. I'm not making this up. Uh, and it's just like, uh, say, Scotland, the weather where, where people are just depressed and kind of violent constantly. Because All the hippies are happy in their muck up there. I, what does that even mean? Uh-oh. See, there you had to go. <laughs> but see, that actually goes to my original point when I started where we had these preconceived notions of either what depression looks like or where we might find depression in large groups in terms of municipalities. And then according to this list, it just blows away all of our stereotypes and preconceived notions about who is depressed or what is depressed or why people are depressed. And the reason I'm talking about this, I want to talk about and give an update to the Bed Bath & Beyond CFO who recently jumped to his death, uh, allegedly, reasons of depression and I want to relate a similar story when I had just minutes after when I say witness just minutes after witnessed uh, a suicide of a woman who jumped off a building in which I worked so I'm going to relate and tie all that together that's next here on the John and Ken show Mo Kelly in for John and Ken KFI AM 640 in the last segment I was talking about this list of the quote-unquote most depressed cities in America And I wanted to talk about the list because it probably was counter to what you and I and most people believed what probably would uh, show up on those lists. Probably we thought it would be cities with higher crime or higher taxes, things of that nature, the things that we talk about from day to day. But none of those cities, including any city in California, showed up on that list. And I thought it was an opportunity to highlight how I think we're basically ignorant Overall, as far as what depression is, what it seems like, how it avails itself, or who it impacts. 
And I wanted to tie it to the more recent story of the Bed Bath & Beyond CFO who leapt to his death from a high-rise luxury apartment building in Tribeca back on Friday. And I, the story spoke to me for two reasons. One, he was the same age as I am now, 52. So there's that. And there's also the fact that from the outside looking in, you would think that this guy had it going on. You look at his career, he's probably very wealthy. And I know that there's probably a, there was uh, an investigation into some of his trading practices and business practices that he was staring at, which might have figured into the equation. I'm just saying from the outside looking in, it seemed like he would had he would have had a very good life. We'll never know. But I also saw something else. Allegedly, his wife saw him jump to his death. And it reminded me of a story of when I was working at Premier Radio. And Eric, you probably know this building. The Premier Radio building was at, at the, still is at the corner of Sepulveda Boulevard and Ventura Boulevard. It's Cata Corner from the Sherman Oaks Galleria. This is back in 2004. I was producing Ryan Seacrest at that time for his American Top 40 show. The reason I say that, that the show was out of that studio in that location. And I remember it was a Friday afternoon. We were working and I finished my work day. It was in November. Uh, Ryan had been working on the show for less than a year. When I had started working with the shows with Casey Kasem, I just use this for just a, a, a time proximity. We had finished on that given workday. I'd come outside and people were running frantically and screaming because unbeknownst to me, the top of our building, which is about 17 stories high, a woman had jumped to her death. And the police and first responders were just arriving on scene. From what I remember, she didn't stand there long, but people saw her jump to her death and people were going crazy for lack of a better word, excuse the terminology, given what we're talking about. And I remember people running frantically back and forth and she did not die upon impact. I don't know if she was still conscious, but if you know that intersection, there are dozens and dozens of people walking there at any given time. So there were plenty of witnesses. I always wonder about the long-term impact of people who may witness someone committing suicide. Now, what we didn't know at that time was that she was the, the then wife of actor Walton Goggins, who was a star, a co-star of this TV show, The Shield, at the time. Again, from the outside looking in, you would think, be it Walton or his wife, uh, Leanne Goggins, that everything would have been beautiful, and that was on the upswing of his career. Things were looking well for him, outside looking in, you know, she was a beautiful woman. You would think that they had a wonderful relationship, but we don't know these people. And when I look at the CFO story of Bed Bath & Beyond, I'm reminded of that. I did not witness her suicide, but I remember the moments afterward. And I remember praying and thinking that I hope that she was not conscious after impact because we all knew that she was alive after the impact of jumping off the 17-story building. And you don't, you don't know how you're going to process that information, and you don't know how people who witnessed it will have to live with that memory, that vision for the rest of their lives. And I'm always very cautious about making any jokes about depression or 
um, I try to be a little more considerate because you don't know the types of problems that people are dealing with. And I don't, I don't necessarily know whether this Bed Bath & Beyond CFO was a good guy, bad guy, whether he had built people out of money, he had ruined people's lives. I don't know. But I do know his wife watching him jump to his death is something that she cannot unsee. I do know that in our, and this goes back to 2004, we did not have social media like we did today. I'm quite sure people heard on the news and found out that their friend or family member had jumped to her death before they could be officially notified. And now with social media today, I'm sure that people close to him probably found out that their family member had jumped to his death and they found out about it on TV or social media because that's how our news is uh, proliferated in such a way. And so whenever I see a story about someone jumping to their death, I will never forget that day where I happened upon someone who had just jumped to their own death and how the people were shrieking and, and, and just losing it, if only because that's not something that you ever expect to see. It's not something that you can unsee, and it stays with you for the rest of your life. And what people don't know or don't understand when they do commit suicide, or maybe they do know and they don't care, is that more times than not, it's not just trauma for them. It's trauma for everyone who may be even in their orbit. This is the John and Ken Show, KFI AM 640. We're live everywhere on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, Ken, did you know that gold is the only currency that's held its value since the dawn of money? Well, I did. Thanks to our friends at Legacy Precious Metals, the most trusted name in gold investing. Investing in gold protects you against inflation and gives you a hedge against stock market volatility. Don't leave your retirement to chance. Call Legacy Precious Metals today at 866 866- 691-2173. Or download your free investor's guide now at buylegacygold.com. That's buylegacygold.com. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals. It's not about being the best in the world. It's about doing what's best for the world. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.